0: Praise the Lord. Amen. For those of you that this is your first service, I started talking last night about the love of God. And I spent last night basically just trying to explain how important this is and say that most people think they understand the love of God, but they really don't. And I took some scriptures that showed what the love of God will produce. And we used Ephesians chapter 3 that says that if you really see the height, the depth, the length, and the breadth of the love of God, and if you know in an experiential way the love of God, instead of just in an intellectual way, you will be filled with all the fullness of God. And since most Christians aren't operating in the fullness of God, and they feel lack and inadequacy, and they aren't happy, and they're discouraged and depressed and things like that, that is a testimony to a lack of revelation of the Word of God. And I know that that makes it too simple. People don't like things that simple. But that's just absolutely true. The love of God will cause you to just prosper in supernatural ways. I had a woman come up to me after last night's service and talk about she was manic depressive and she wanted me to just pray and cast this depression out of her. And I said, didn't you hear anything I preached last night? (laughs) I said, uh, I was talking about how if you get a revelation of the love of God, it's impossible to be depressed. And yet people think, oh, well, I know that's true for most people, but you don't understand. I got a chemical deficiency or something else. No, this is just true. It's absolutely true. There are no exceptions to it. The love of God will make you be filled with the fullness of God. So if you aren't full of the fullness of God, then there is a need for a revelation of the love of God. And then this morning I started talking about why... Uh, it is that many of us don't really have a good revelation of the love of God. And it's because we experience God's salvation. We hear the message that God loves us and then we go to church. And in church, we're told how that guy, if you don't do this, God's angry at you and he's not going to bless you and God's going to judge you. And then we talk specifically about the sovereignty of God, which I'm not against sovereignty if you use it the way the dictionary defines it. But if you use the religious connotation, For sovereignty, I'm against that. To where God controls everything and nothing happens without God's will. God is not the one that is raping and plundering and murdering and doing things. He doesn't doesn't do those kind of things. Jamie pointed out to me that her and Gail were sitting there this morning talking about, you know, if people believe that all of this mayhem and murder and terrorism and all of these things or God's will, then you could actually say that the terrorist and the rapist and the burglars and the murderers are the ones that are fulfilling the will of God more than anybody else. They're really following God's leadership. That's just stupid. That's dumb to the second power. It's dumb, dumb. And yet this is what a lot of religion is teaching today, that God is the source. God's the one that puts sickness on you to humble you and to make you better. And man, I did everything I had time to do this morning about trying to counter that and show you that God is not the one who causes these problems in your life. I believe that as long as you think that, then you aren't really going to have a good love relationship with the Lord if you attribute all of those things to God. And again, just put it back into uh, relationship terms. You know, Jesus uses this same Um, reasoning many times he says if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children then how much more will the heavenly father give the holy spirit to them that ask him those scriptures that we use tonight out of luke chapter 12 he says if god takes care for the lilies of the field and the birds if god treats his creation better than this why would you think that god is going to be harder on us than he is on birds and on flowers and things like this So the Lord used this kind of reasoning. And if you just were to use that line of reasoning, if you really could prove somehow or another that all of the people that I really love, I give cancer to. And that if you you get around me, that I'm liable to kill you. I'm liable to come and kill your baby. I'm liable to suffocate your baby because that's going to help make you a better person. If you believe that kind of stuff about me, I guarantee you none of you would want to be my friends. And yet that's what we're saying about God. And I don't know how religion has done this, but somehow or another we say, oh yeah, God loves me, but then we turn around and impute all of these terrible actions to God. We even have it in our contracts, acts of God, as if God's the one that causes all of these kind of things. And I know that there's somebody sitting right here saying, but, but... God does control all of these things. Nothing can happen without His permission. Well, you need to get the tape from this morning. I hadn't got time to go back and preach that. And I've got a lot more than what I was able to share on it this morning. But anyway, um, I'm going to move on to something else tonight. One of the things that happened in my life, if you've heard my testimony, March the 23rd, 1968, God showed me His love. And for four and a half months, I was just caught up into the presence of God. And I mean, it transformed my life. And here's the thing that was so radical about it is that I got born again when I was eight years old, but it was 18 when I had this experience. And during that 10 year period of time from my salvation until I had this experience, I was living holy. I was following the rules of the church. I mean, I have lived a super holy life compared to most people. Of course, who wants to be the best sinner that ever went to hell? Amen. I mean, I'm not saying that that produced salvation in me, but I'm just saying that I really tried to live a holy life. I've never said a word of profanity. I've never taken a drink of liquor. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never tasted coffee. I am Mr. Righteous. Amen. I have lived a holy life. But the problem was somehow I got it instilled in me and it was through the church. And again, I'm not blaming anybody else. I'm the one that swallowed it. But it was presented to me that God loved me proportional to how well I lived, how holy I lived. That if I would do things that were right, God would be pleased with me. And if I do things wrong, God would be displeased with me. And so that was my motivation for living so holy. And I mean, I lived holier than most people. But on this night, March the 23rd, 1968, uh, there's a lot of things that happened, but the Lord, it's just like He pulled back this curtain over my eyes. I was only 18 years old. I don't know how this happened. I've got, I could teach on this in another area and show you that there are reasons why God touches some people. I'm not saying that there wasn't anything. I had been seeking God, and so this was an answer to that. But ultimately, it was just God revealed himself to me and he he just pulled back a veil and all of a sudden i saw that i was a religious hypocrite that i was trusting in my own righteousness and in my own goodness and even though i was living holier than most people god showed me his pure holiness i don't know how to describe this i i don't have the words for it it's not something that was explained in words it was intuitive God just showed me in a moment perfection and holiness, which he is, and showed me my relative unworthiness. And you know, some of you think, well, boy, you were really a good person. Well, stacked up next to Jesus, I guarantee you, it was vile. Compared to you, I might look good. Compared to somebody else, I might have measured up good. But you know what? Compared to Jesus, and that's what the Bible says, all of sin comes short of the glory of God, which is Jesus. The Lord just showed me what He created me to be, what He created all of us to be, and how far short I'd fallen, and how I was a hypocrite. And did you know that I personally believe that the sin of pride... And the sin of self-righteousness is the worst sin of them all. I believe it's worse than adultery, homosexuality, lying, murder, stealing than anything else. And boy, religious people commit that sin all the time of trusting in themselves. The only people that Jesus ever issued an open rebuke to were the religious people who were living holy lives. He never rebuked a prostitute, the tax collectors. He he didn't say that what they were doing was right. Like he had a woman who was a prostitute brought to him and they wanted to kill her. And he wrote down on the ground and said, He that's without sin cast the first stone and all of the accusers left. And he turned to the woman and he says, has no man accused you? And she said, no man, Lord. Boy, she responded by recognizing that he was her Lord. She submitted to him. No man, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He acknowledged that what she had done was sin. I'm not saying that God approved of these things. But the Lord didn't rebuke her. He didn't rebuke a woman taken in the very act of adultery. Instead, he stood on her side and protected her. But you know, the only people that Jesus ever rebuked were religious people that were straight as a gun barrel and twice as empty. That were trusting in their own righteousness and holiness. The greatest sin of all is the sin of thinking that you deserve the goodness of God. And if you think that God has given you what you deserve, you are a self-righteous person. And you have missed the gospel. And this is what the Lord revealed to me. Here I was living a relatively holy life, but He just showed me that my faith wasn't in a Savior. Now, I was born again. I got born again when I was eight years old. But I had fallen into what Galatians talks about. I started in Christ, but I was thinking I was now going to be made perfect by the flesh, and I was trusting in my own goodness. And the Lord just showed me what a religious hypocrite I was. And I spent an hour and 45 minutes in front of all of my friends, in front of the leaders of the church, turning myself inside out, acknowledging and repenting of things that I hadn't even known were wrong. I didn't even know that I'd done them a few minutes before. It was just in response to what God was doing. And instead of God killing me, which I honestly thought God was going to kill me. I honestly did. Some of you may think that's a joke, but I honestly thought that God was going to kill me. And right before he killed me, I was just getting all of this stuff out in the open and confessing it, hoping that he wouldn't send me to hell. And to my surprise, instead of judgment and rejection, I mean a tangible love of God flowed through me that overwhelmed me. I can't describe it to you. There's no way to explain it. For four and a half months, I was just gone someplace in the presence of God. I knew that God loved me. It was revelation. And it was wonderful, but the, the thing that turned my life around was for the first time in my life, I knew that God's love for me didn't have anything to do with me. It was when I was at my worst. It was when I finally saw that I'm not worth spitting on, that I didn't deserve God to come die for me, I deserve to be punished and judged and damned forever. There isn't a hell deep enough or an eternity long enough to punish me for making God send His Son and have to die for my sins. I don't deserve anything. And I just knew that and yet here I was experiencing the love of God that I'd always tried to earn by my holiness and by working and doing all of these things. And it really confused me. And it took me years to begin to learn some of these things. But this is what turned my life around was when I quit tying God's love for me to some worth or some value in my life. That's what changed my life. And I really believe that this is one of the things that hinders people from understanding God's love for them is because they have been taught and believe that God loves them when they're worth loving. But when they mess up they feel like, oh God, how could you love me? You don't love yourself. Nobody else loves you. You're taught this from the time you're a little kid. You come home and you sing A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Now I've said my ABCs, tell me how you think of me. And everybody says, oh, you're wonderful. And pat you on the back when you do good. And when you do bad, they hit you on the bottom. I mean, we teach Kids that when you do good, you're rewarded. When you do bad, you're punished. And you know what? Again, I'm not saying that that's totally wrong because we live in a world where you do get what you deserve and you've got to teach people how to live and how to do things. I'm not saying that's 100% wrong, but God doesn't operate under that system. And yet religion has basically reinforced this and come along and said, yes, if you will study the word and if you'll pray and if you'll go to church and if you'll pay your tithes and if you will do this, this and this, then God will answer your prayers implying that if you don't do these things, God won't answer your prayers. And most people have tied God's love and acceptance in their life to their own goodness. And the thing that's wrong with that is That you aren't good. And some of you think, oh, you don't know me. I'm really good. Well, again, compared to me, you might look good. But compared to God, you are nothing. You don't deserve anything. God doesn't move in anybody's life because they deserve it. God's never had anybody qualified working for him yet. And you aren't going to be the first one. You've got to come to a place where you understand the grace of God and that God's love is unconditional. And if you don't understand that, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Satan is a master at accusing you and showing you the sin in your life. And you can live good, but I can guarantee you, you can't live perfectly. And Satan will point out the one thing that you do wrong. If you do 99 things right, he'll do point out the one thing you do wrong, and then you'll become condemned... And it's not that you doubt God's ability. You know, if you're here on a Friday night listening to me in a convention center, this isn't your nod to God crowd. You aren't here fulfilling your weekly obligation. You're fanatics or you were drug here by a fanatic. Amen. (laughs) You believe that God exists and you believe in the power of God and you believe that God has all of this ability And yet there's many people right here who believe God has all of this power that you still don't see your answers to prayer. Why is it? What are you doubting? You aren't doubting that God can do it. You're doubting God's willingness to do it because you don't feel qualified. You don't feel worthy. And so you want to come to somebody and you think that somehow or another I'm holier and God will answer my prayers. He wouldn't answer yours. But maybe you can get healed through me. Maybe you can get set free through me or something else. It all comes down to the fact that you don't understand how much God loves you. God doesn't love me more than He loves any of you. It's not that you doubt God's ability, you doubt His willingness to use His power on your behalf because you know your own conscience condemns you. And the sad fact is most people think God loves you proportional to your goodness. God's love for you has zippo, zilch, nada, zero to do with you. God loves you because He is love and not because you are lovely. And some of you think, well, you're making me feel bad. I tell you what, there is great peace in just running up a white flag and surrendering and saying, God, you know what? I just, I don't deserve anything. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Man, there's great peace in that. Let's look at some scriptures on this out of Romans chapter 5 and... You know, I'm really going to have to reserve and hold myself back because there are, this is what the whole Bible is about. Man, I could minister on this. Well, this is what I always minister on. I just put a different title on it and use a different scripture and call it something different. But this is what all of my ministry is about, is trying to let you know that God's love for you isn't proportional to anything that you deserve. It's all the grace of God. And so there are just so many scriptures on this, but... In Romans chapter 5, the first four chapters of Romans is making this point. It starts in Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The word gospel is talking about the nearly too good to be true news that God loves you independent of what you deserve instead of what you deserve. It's all talking about the grace of God. You don't deserve any of this. And he's made this point and he goes into Jewish history and talks about Abraham and David. They were both main figures in the Jewish nation and yet Abraham was a mess Abraham was a guy that lied about his wife twice and was willing to let a man commit adultery with his wife to save his own neck Abraham was an immoral guy and then Abraham committed uh, well it wasn't adultery in those days they they were allowed to have more than one wife but when Sarah suggested he go into Hagar and, and try and help God out he was quick to obey and had an Ishmael <laughs> and we still have the Arab-Israeli conflict today because of his disobedience and this guy just messed up a number of times and yet the scripture makes it clear that it was because he believed God Genesis 15:6, that he was Made righteous in the sight of God, not because of his own goodness. And this, these scriptures are pointing this out. And then it talks about David. David is a man who committed adultery and then murdered to cover up his adultery. And David cried out in Psalms 32 and says, Blessed is the Lord to whom the man to whom the Lord will not impute sins. Not just did not, does not, but will not. Even future tense. Blessed is the man to where God will not impute sin. Do you know why he was saying that? Because that wasn't the covenant he lived under. Man, he was punished for his sin. He saw terrible things happen. He saw hundreds, thousands of people die because of his sin. He saw his own children kill each other and his own wives raped openly in front of everybody. Because of his own sin. And David cried out, Oh, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. That's us. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing our trespasses unto us. God isn't holding our sins against us. He isn't dealing with it. So all of these scriptures are making that point. And then it starts off chapter 5 by saying, this is how we have peace with God. The only way you're ever going to have peace in your relationship is when you quit basing it on your performance and on your goodness and you make a Savior and you believe that God loves you and accepts you and answers your prayer and uses you because of who Jesus is and not because of who you are. If you think that it's your goodness that's producing the power of God in your life, then you might fool yourself for a brief period of time but I guarantee you, you will fail and you will fail big time. And as long as you think that God has given you what you deserve, it's going to be like a house of cards. When it falls, the whole thing is going to collapse. You will come under condemnation, guilt. You will crash and burn. Nobody, nobody, nobody can stand in the presence of God and demand anything because you deserve it. It's all the grace of God. And you've got to totally divorce God's love for you from anything that makes you worthy. As long as you are thinking that you're self-righteous, you are totally missing the true revelation and Satan will condemn you over that. So that's what all of these things are talking about. And in verse uh, 8, or let me just back up and read a few verses here. In verse 5, it says, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know what? If you don't have the Holy Spirit, then you aren't going to have a true revelation of the love of God. The Holy Spirit is sent to give us a revelation of God's love for us. In verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus died for ungodly people. Unless you're willing to admit that you're ungodly, Jesus didn't die for you. It says over here in chapter uh, 4, let me read this to you. In verse 5, it says, To him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. If you aren't willing to admit that you're ungodly, then you can't be justified. If any person in here is maintaining your own righteousness and thinking, well... You know, I'm not perfect, but I'm really pretty good. I don't need as much grace as Pastor Dean does or somebody over here. I mean, you know, God, if you'll just give me a little boost, I know that, you know, you can accept me. Unless you're willing to come to the end of yourself and realize that you deserve hell. That's what you deserve. Then you haven't reached a place to where Jesus can be your Savior. He he isn't just a little part of salvation. You know, because I was living relatively holy didn't mean that I needed less grace than somebody else. There isn't a hell number two or a hell number three. It's like if somebody came in here with a machine gun or something tonight and says, you know what, unless you can jump and touch this ceiling, I'm going to kill you. There might be some of us that could jump higher than others. I'm on a platform and I might be able to jump higher than somebody who's down there. But you know what? I still can't reach this ceiling. If that was the minimum requirement, we're all dead. We've all had it. And just because you can come closer than somebody else, if that's the minimum requirement, you're going to die unless you have a savior. And that's what the Lord did. The Lord gave a standard, the law that nobody could keep. And yet it's amazing that people think, well, I haven't done as much bad as somebody else, so I'm not as bad. Again, there's no hell number two or hell number three. If you keep the whole law, James chapter two, verse 10 says this, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, you become guilty of everything. If you have never committed adultery, But you know what? If you've been selfish and exalted yourself over somebody else, you are just as guilty as a homosexual, adulterer, liar, murderer, thief. And you know what? A lot of religious people really get upset at this. The Pharisees of today really get upset because you're saying that all of my holiness doesn't make me any better off than anybody else. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Amen. (laughs) Now, it might make you better off in the sense that you don't have to deal with the same amount of guilt and condemnation that somebody who's done these things. And so I'm not advocating that you just go out and live in sin. But I'm saying as far as making you more accepted with God, you only need half as much grace as this bad person over here. Boy, if that's the way you're thinking, I doubt seriously if you've ever gotten born again. That is not salvation. Jesus didn't just provide a little icing on the cake for the good people but then he had to provide the whole cake for everybody else nope it's all Jesus and you have to come you have to admit you're ungodly he came to justify the ungodly and it says that he commended his his um, grace towards us and while we were yet sinners he died for us so back to Romans chapter 5 in verse 6 for when you were yet without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. You know what? There's not very many people that would die for another person. Some people might lay down their life if you had somebody who was just Mr. or Mrs. Perfect. If you love your mate and if they are the most wonderful person, some of you might sacrifice yourself for somebody who is worth it. But there's not one person out of a million that would lay their life down for an ungodly person who hated them and who hasn't done anything for them. And yet it says in verse 8, But God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord didn't just die for good people. He didn't just die for the people who He knew would accept Him. The Lord commended His love, extended His love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, some people have taken this verse out of context. And I don't know if you were ever exposed to this, but I learned the Roman road, a way of witnessing to people. Romans 5.8, Romans 6.23 Uh, or Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans uh, 6.23, all of these scriptures about that you're a sinner, but God commends His love towards us and stuff. And we take that out of context and use this to tell lost people how much God loves them. And you know what? That's a truth, that God does love lost people, and He's not willing to uh, hold their sins against them. He's offering salvation to them. That's a true statement. But what happens when we do this, we are missing the main point that's being made right here. The point that he's making isn't Romans 5.8. The point that's being made is Romans 5 9. Let's go back and read Romans 5.8 and put it together with verse 9. It says, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us. Much more then. Being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. And then he summarizes it and puts both of those thoughts together in verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. What this is saying is that if you accept that God loved you while you were a sinner... So much that he died for you, then much more, much more, much more. Now that you are saved, does God love you? And yet the message of the church has been much less now that you're saved. We've taught that God will love a sinner. God died for the ungodly. God will commend his love towards you if you don't know him but get saved and then you better straighten up now. If you want God to move in your life, you better act holy. You better live right or God won't answer your prayers. Let me ask you, how much good living had you been doing before you got born again? Some of you were adulterers, whoremongers, liars, stealers, drug addicts, alcoholics, mean as a snake, Many of you were just rotten to the core and yet you accepted that God loved you. You hadn't been fasting and praying and going to church and paying your tithes and yet you received the greatest miracle that you could ever receive, which was salvation. But now that you're saved, just miss one day's worth of reading your daily Bible readings and God's liable to put cancer on you to teach you something. Just don't pray one day. Don't follow through on something that God told you to do. And man, God's liable to let you crash and burn because of this. That's inconsistent. These verses are saying much more now. If you can accept that God loved you when you were a sinner, much more does He love you now. Now, was God's love conditional when it came to salvation? No, there isn't a single person in here that deserved it. You know, if you came forward for salvation tonight... And if I had a word of knowledge, say somebody was standing right here and and they were wanting to be saved and I said, you know, God shows me you're an adulterer. If the Lord showed that to me and if they understood salvation properly, I wouldn't keep them from getting saved. They'd say, boy, that's the reason I need salvation. Oh, God, forgive me. And they'd just cry out for mercy and forgiveness and they could receive salvation even if they were living in adultery at the time they came forward. Most people agree with that, but what would happen if they're already saved and if they come forward and they wanted to be healed of cancer and all of a sudden I have a word of knowledge, you're living in adultery. There are many of you that would say, well, that won't keep them from getting saved. Go ahead and pray for salvation and receive forgiveness of sins. But if it's praying for cancer, once you're already saved, well, God won't heal anybody that's got sin in their life. That's inconsistent with what these scriptures are saying. Here's another verse, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. This is a powerful scripture. It says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. That means the same way that you receive salvation is the same way you continue to walk in it. How did you receive salvation? Did you come and say, oh God, I've been fasting and praying and doing the best I can and I'm living holy. Is that enough? Will you accept me now? If that's the attitude you had, you never got born again. If you truly got born again, you came to the end of yourself, recognized you were ungodly and you said, oh God, just as I am without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. And you ask for salvation based on Jesus' love and what He did for you and not what you've been doing for God. Well, if that's the way that you receive salvation, that's also the way you receive healing. That's the way you receive prosperity. It's the way you receive joy. It's the way you receive peace. It's the way you receive everything. And yet somehow Satan has twisted things He couldn't keep us from getting saved because the good news is just too good to be silent. And so you got born again, but then he got into church and started saying, well, yeah, now that you're saved, you got to do this and do this. And if you don't do this, God won't love you. God's love was totally unconditional when it came to being born again. But now that you're born again, everything is conditional on whether you are doing everything just right. If you think that, That will stop you from truly believing God's love. You may say that God is love for somebody else. When somebody else stands up and gives their testimony about the goodness of God, you may rejoice and say, oh, that's wonderful. I sure wish that would happen for me. But your own conscience will condemn you. You know you better than you know anybody else. And your own conscience will condemn you as long as you think that God is moving in your life proportional to how much you deserve it. I'm telling you, one of the greatest revelations you'll ever get is that God's love is unconditional. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Him. God loves you because He is love and not because you are lovely. You know, if there was a drunk in here tonight, and if you were sitting next to a person who was totally drunk or high on drugs or something like that, did you know that the average Christian would go over to a drunk And put your arm around him and say, God loves you. God wants to set you free. God can change your life. And you administer mercy and grace to a drunk as long as he lost. But let him get saved. And come back tomorrow night. And the very people who told him that God loved him when he was lost would turn around and say, how dare you do this? Man, do you know God's not going to answer your prayers? God's going to get you. God's going to burn your barley fields. That's a famous sermon. And they would go and start condemning a Christian, but minister grace to a lost man. Now, you can say what you want to, but there is a double standard. People think that God gives grace to people who are lost. But once you get saved, you've got to start living up to it. God expects more of you. Again, I go back to these verses. The whole point of this in Romans 5, 8 is God commended his love towards you in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you much more now much more now. If God loved you and extended grace towards you while you were a sinner, much more now does God love you. Much more now is God's grace available unto you. Much more now is God moving in your life. If you could receive the miracle of salvation, which is the greatest miracle that any of us could ever receive. Healing for your body is nothing compared to salvation. You were a child of the devil before you got saved. You belonged to the devil. You had been cooperating with him. You were by nature a child of the devil is what the scripture says. If Satan ever had the right and the ability and the power to stop God from doing anything in your life, then He would have had the ability to stop you from being born again because you were serving Him with your whole heart. You belonged to Him. And yet, here you were, had spent zero time in the Word, zero time fasting, zero times praying, zero time being holy, zero time praying in tongues. You hadn't done anything good, and you were able to pray and receive the greatest miracle that could ever exist. Amen. And if that is true of your born again experience, then getting healed of cancer, seeing the dead raised, blind eyes open is nothing in comparison to that. Well, then why is it that it seems so much easier to get saved than it is to get healed or something? Because you use faith in what God had done for salvation. But when it comes to receiving from God, you're using faith in what you have done. Your faith isn't in a savior anymore. You become your own savior because that's what we've been taught. You know, I've had people come and stand up here for prayer by the thousands and I've, I've had this said hundreds, thousands of times, I guess. Somebody says something like, why hasn't God healed me? I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm paying my tithes, I go to church, I'm doing the best I can. Why hasn't God healed me? Any person who says that has told me why God hasn't healed them. Because you didn't point to a Savior and what He did for you. Your faith wasn't in Jesus and what He did for you. Your faith is in yourself. And you're saying, look what I've done. How come God hasn't healed me yet? It's the mercy of God that you aren't getting what you deserved. If God gave you what you deserved, you'd be a pile of ashes. But see, that's what we're doing. God, I've done this. God, what does it take? And then people get mad and bitter at God because I've tried as hard as I can. But the thing you aren't recognizing is it doesn't matter how hard you jump. It doesn't how high you jump. It doesn't matter how much you train. It doesn't matter what you do. You're never going to reach this standard. You just need to receive a Savior. You need to have somebody else that you put your faith in. And yet, I tell you, one of the greatest hindrances to understanding and receiving the love of God is your Belief that you've got to deserve it for God to love you. You won't let God love you because you don't feel like you deserve it. You're the one that's stopping it. God's trying to express His love to you, but we won't let it because it doesn't fit into our theology and so we just discount it. You know, not long after I had this experience with the Lord and I began to start renewing my mind, I was driving 40-something miles on Sunday to go to church. And we would go over on Sunday morning and rather than drive home and then come back on Sunday night, we would stay over with people during the day uh, on Sunday and just stay over there all day long so we could go to a Sunday night church. And uh, I would stay at people's home. We'd eat with them and stuff like this. And there was this one friend that we stayed with that had a daughter that was about i don't know she's 18 19 years old or something and she was rebellious she didn't go to church and she hated god and she out of all people on the face of the earth hated me probably more than most people and she didn't like me so every time i came over to that this couple's house for sunday afternoon this girl would be gone and she was never there. And anyway, one day I was sleepy and the uh, parents just says, why don't you go up and take a nap in her bedroom? And so, you know, I was sleepy. So I went up into her bedroom and I was laying on her bed and I was taking a nap. And I had been asleep. And, you know, I was, I mean, I was sound asleep and the door opened and I just woke up like that. I was just wide awake. But my first thought was, you know, you could tell that the door was opening real slow that somebody was just sneaking in there and I thought, oh, this is probably this girl. She doesn't want to see me. I didn't want to see her. So I just laid on this bed and played possum. And I just laid there with my eyes closed and I could hear this person walk around the room. They opened up a drawer and did some things and I was just listening to all of this and then they walked over and stood beside the bed. And boy, when they did that, I was really paying attention. And then they sat down. It was actually over on this left side of the bed. They sat down on the bed. You could feel the bed move and they put their arm across me. You could feel their weight shift. And then they kissed me right on the mouth. And when that happened, I opened my eyes. And you know what? There was nobody there. Nobody was in that room. And yet I was wide awake. And man, I got to think, what is this? And my first thought was, that's just the Lord telling you that He loved you. And then my next thought was, oh God, if you would have walked into the room, you'd have slapped me or you'd have rebuked me or you'd have done something. My old religious thinking began to come out. And then the Lord spoke to him and He says, you know, if I loved you enough that I'd die for you don't you think I'd do something like that and you know what it was probably 10 years before I told anybody but Jamie about that because I was so embarrassed wondering what people would think because if you say something like that you know what people will immediately think oh so you think you're special you think you're holy you think God will do something for you and immediately see people tie any show of God's affection or blessing to some worth in that person's life. I'm not saying that I deserved it. You know, I talk about seeing people raised from the dead. And when I do that, people look at me and they think, you no, no way God would use you to raise somebody from the dead. And God wouldn't use a hick from Texas. The truth is most of us really believe that God uses people who are usable, worthy, that somehow or another we deserve it and we're in different stages of trying to overcome these things and many of you are praying that God will help you to overcome this problem and that problem, quit drinking and smoking and gossiping and stuff so that God could really love you and you're fighting... But you're motivated out of nothing but legalism, thinking that you've got to overcome these things so that God will use you. And if you could just clean up your act and if you could quit doing these things, then the love of God would flow. That's the reason that you haven't experienced a greater revelation of God's love is because you won't let God's love manifest in your life. You know you don't deserve it. And somehow or another, until you get worthy, until you can overcome this problem, you just can't accept the fact that God loves you. But brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that God loves you tonight, not because of you being lovely, but because He is love. And those of you that have sinned the worst, those of you that are the most unholy, God loves you just exactly the same as He loves anybody else. Man, that's awesome. And some of you are listening to me and you're following my logic and you're saying, Well, I can understand everything you're saying. It makes sense. But if what you're saying is true, then why live holy? Let's just go out and live in sin. And man, if, well, if people believed what you said, there would be no restraint on sin. That's really not true. It's just the opposite. It's just the opposite. The scripture says in 1 John chapter 4, we love Him because He first loved us. If you don't understand the unconditional mercy and grace of God's love, if you tie it to worth and value on your own part, then you haven't really received the full revelation of God's love. And that's the reason that you're doing such a poor job of serving Him. But if you could ever understand how much God loves you, I guarantee you it would cause you to live holier accidentally than you ever have on purpose before. The love of Christ would set you free. There are some of you that are trying to love your mate when they don't deserve to be loved. They're doing something wrong and you're trying to, through gritted teeth, love them. But you know why it's so hard for you? Because you're trying to give away something you've never received. You're trying to give unconditional love and yet you think God loves you conditionally based on how well you perform and you wind up reproducing the same thing that you believe. Many of you are treating your mate the way that you are because you know they don't deserve it and you're just giving them what they deserve. That's because you've been taught that that's the way God treats you. You can't give away what you don't have. You got to first of all understand how much God loves you before you can turn around and be merciful to another person. You need a revelation. And once you understand this, again, my personal testimony is that I had been living this great holy life by religious standards. But did you know after that night and God showed me what a hypocrite I was and how vile I was and then in the midst of my worst, my revelation of how ungodly I was when I was at my very worst is when God loved me. It just did something for me. And I tell you what, I loved God before, but I love God a million times more afterwards. You know, the Bible says to him that has been forgiven little, he loves little. To him that's been forgiven much, he loves much. Well, according to man's standards, some people would think, well, you were forgiven little. You haven't done any of the things that most of us have done. But you know what? I have a revelation of being forgiven much more than most people do. And I guarantee you, I love much because I know that, boy, God, there wasn't anything good on the inside of me. And I tell you, immediately, immediately my life changed. Immediately. Prior to that time, I was going out and witnessing and knocking on doors and quote unquote leading people to the Lord. And if... And for you to fully appreciate that, you have to understand, I was an introvert. I couldn't even look at a person in the face and talk to him. And yet, I thought that you had to witness and you had to do a work for God, for God to accept you. And so I psyched myself up and made myself go on adult visitation And then I went through a soul winning course and I started a Tuesday night visitation for the youth. So I was going out two nights a week, knocking on seven or eight doors per night, doing these things, witnessing to people. I was doing all of this stuff, but you know, I was doing it. I didn't care about people. I wouldn't have cared if every person, you know, I'd knock on the door and because I was an introvert, I'd pray, Oh God, don't let there be anybody home (laughs) because I got credit for knocking on the door. I didn't care about changing people's lives. I was witnessing for me. I was doing it so that I could go back to church with a feather in my cap or a scalp on my belt and say, Man, look who I led to the Lord. Look how many people I got to pray. Look how many tracts I gave out. And did you know every Sunday they would pat me on the back and have me stand up and talk about how many people I had led to the Lord and how many visits I would made because I was making more visits than the pastor of the church than anybody in the church. I was doing all of these things trying to work my way into God's favor, trying to earn His blessing. But my motive was totally wrong. I use those verses this morning that if you do all of these things or give your body to be burned and don't do it motivated by love, it profits you Nothing. It wasn't helping me. It wasn't benefiting me. I didn't love those people. I loved myself. You know, in our churches, we'll sing these songs about will there be any stars, any stars in my crown when at evening at last I lay down. Must I go and empty handed must I meet my savior soul, not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty handed go? And then they'll tell a story about your neighbor being thrown into hell. And as he's drugged right in front of you, he'll point his finger and say, why didn't you tell me about Jesus? Ah, and he falls into hell and <laughs> everybody hits the altar. Why? Because you love people. No, you love yourself and you're thinking, Oh God, I don't want to be embarrassed. Oh God, help help me to go witness. There isn't an ounce of God's kind of love in you. It's all selfish. It's all just, you're concerned about yourself. That's the way that I was. I was out getting scalps, knocking on doors. And if, they, and if they were home, I'd say, oh, God, don't let them ask me about the people in Africa that have never heard the gospel. Let me just, you know, go through the Roman road, Romans 3:23, and I'd go through and then I'd say, is there any reason you can't pray with me? And you know, if you do it right, there's not very many people that'll say, yes, I want to go to hell. Leave me alone. <laughs> and you can get people to recite a prayer after you. And then you claim that they're saved and go back with their scalp and tell everybody what you did and you don't ever care what happens to them because you didn't care about them in the first place. Amen or oh me. See, that's the way I was prior to this. But you know, after the love of God was shed abroad in my heart, I quit Thursday and Tuesday night visitations. And see, some of you're thinking, "Oh, uh-huh, that's what I thought right there." So you find out that God loves you, and so you just quit doing anything. <laughs> the reason I quit it was because I realized I was making an extra seven or eight visits on Thursday and a seven or eight visits on Tuesday, and I was passing up hundreds of people every day. And I made a commitment that I'd never see a person that I didn't witness to. Them. That was a wrong wit I mean, a wrong. Uh, deal is right attitude but you know what I, I when i remember when i got drafted i was standing at attention and i saw thousands of people walking by and i was thinking god how am i going to witness to all of these people so i had to moderate that a little bit adjust it but instead of going out on tuesday and thursday night visitations i started witnessing to everything that moved I went to school every day. I was in college and I went to school every day, but I never made a single class because I'd start talking to somebody about Jesus and the bell would ring and I couldn't let them go to hell because the bell rang. So I'd keep talking to them and then I'd get through with them and I'd talk to somebody else. And when I, the next bell rang, I was talking to somebody and I went to school for two and a half months and never made a class because I was just witnessing to everybody about the Lord. I was talking to everybody. We actually divided the city of Arlington, Texas up into sections and we started knocking on a hundred doors a day. And we would knock on doors and instead of praying, oh God, don't let there be anybody home. Now, because of the love of God, I was concerned about people and I wanted to talk to people. And we made the mistake of starting in the rich area of town. You know, the Bible says the poor heard him gladly, but we didn't realize that. We started in the richest section of town and we would knock on people's doors and people weren't home and people wouldn't let us in and ladies were afraid. You know, here's two guys out knocking on doors and they were afraid of what was happening and they wouldn't let us in and so... Man, I got to where I was praying, oh God, help me to just go to the ones where somebody's home to where I could talk to them. It was a totally different attitude. As a matter of fact, we came up with little gimmicks. We had a survey card that we had printed up. And it said, Christian survey. And we asked them all of these questions. You know, how old are you? Are you married? Do you have children? We did all this stuff. And then the bottom question was, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And that's all it was about. We threw the papers away. We didn't care. It was just a way of getting your foot in the door because they wouldn't let us just talk to them, but they'd let you do a survey. We started pulling tricks on people. I remember I went up to this one house and I was determined. I'd had two or three doors closed in my face and I was determined I was going to talk to this next person regardless of what I had to do. And uh, I knocked on the door and this woman came to the door and she had the chain on her door and she just opened it a little bit and looked after there and she says, what do you want? And I said, praise God, I finally found a Christian. And this woman looks at me and says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? See, that was already an improvement because nearly everybody, you'd go up to them and you'd say, are you a Christian? And they say, well, of course I'm a Christian. Right here it says, in God we trust. They didn't know what a Christian was. And so I had to spend half my time convincing them they were, I mean, you know, they weren't a Christian. This woman started off by saying, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And I said, well, you got this scripture printed on your fence out here. And this woman undid her chain and walked out on the front door and she said, what scripture do I have printed on my fence? And I turned over to Philippians 3, 2 and I said, right here, it says, beware of dogs. Amen. (laughs) Amen. And I was able to read the whole chapter of Philippians chapter 3 before she recovered and slammed the door in my face. Amen. (laughs) I'm just saying that, you know, that's what the love of God did for me. The love of God didn't, because I knew that God loved me, it didn't make me want to serve Him less. I wanted to serve Him more. Man, I fell in love with God. I fell in love with people. You will serve God more accidentally than you ever have on purpose before if you understand how much God loves you. There is nothing that will make as quick a fanatic out of you as understanding the unconditional love of God. Amen. Man, if you aren't absolutely overwhelmed, thrilled in love with God with all of your heart, it's because you don't understand His unconditional love. And you know, it's frustrating when when a person loves you conditionally. Matter of fact, in my own personal life, I have people who say they love me, but I know they love me because it's expedient for them to love me. It's working to their advantage. But the truth is, they love themselves. And if I was to ever cross them and do something wrong, which if, you know, if I stay friends with you long enough, I will cross you. I'll make a mistake. If nothing else, I'll just be thinking about myself instead of you and not give you the attention that you desire. If a person loves you only because you're doing everything right, you know what, that's dangerous that's dangerous because i can promise you you will mess up you will make a mistake you know the kind of love that i really love to see in people is when somebody just loves me and i know that they're going to love me even when i mess up and even when i do something wrong and they're going to give me a little grace and maybe i did something wrong maybe i was too tough in what i said but they know what my heart was and they give me a little bit of grace and they don't give you what you deserve those are the kinds of people that you like to be around and the ones that you like to make friends and yet we've imputed unto God that God is the most temperamental touchy personality in the universe I mean just do the slightest thing wrong and God's liable to kill your child because you didn't pay your tithes or something like that boy that's terrible And see, if you think those kind of things, if you tie God's love to any worth or value in yourself, you've immediately cheapened it. You've diluted it. You've taken the potency out of it. But when you understand that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now that we are born again, much more now does God love you. If He loved you when you were a sinner, He loves you a million times more now that you are a saint. If you are the sorriest saint in this auditorium, if you are the weakest, most ungodly Christian in this place, God loves you with all of His heart. And God is not going to stop releasing His power towards you. He's not going to do anything to hurt you. God loves you. And man, if you could renew your mind with that and understand that, I guarantee you, it would make the love of Christ just abound in your heart. You would begin to start rejoicing. (coughs) To think about it, that God Almighty, King of kings, Lord of lords, He's got an entire universe to run. is at your beck and call. Anytime you want to say, Father, He'll drop everything. To listen to you. To pay attention to you. He loves you as if there was nobody else. He gives you 100% of His attention all of the time. If you could understand that and put it into perspective, you know, this would just transform your life. I was talking to a young man this morning who was introverted like me and I was telling him that, you know, when, when God showed me how much He loved me, it began to set me free from being an introvert because what makes you an introvert what makes you shy is actually self-centeredness you're conscious of yourself all of the time and wondering am i going to make a mistake is somebody going to am i going to do something wrong is somebody going to am i going to you know make a fool of myself and so you just withdraw into yourself and don't ever expose yourself so that you could never be rejected but when you understand how much god loves you then you know what? It's like, who cares what you think of me? God loves me. There are people that the reason you are so bothered what everybody thinks about you, the reason you have to have everybody affirm you and the reason that you've got to have constantly somebody pat you on the back and compliment you and you've got to have all of these kudos to survive is because you don't know how much God loves you. When you get sufficient in the love of God, when you get convinced of it, you know what, you'll reach a place to where you don't want people to dislike you. God didn't make us to want that, but I'm saying you can get to where God so satisfies your longing for acceptance that it doesn't matter what anybody else says. You know, I don't want any of you to dislike me. If you come up and dump on me and tell me what a jerk I am, it's not going to bless me, but you know what, it won't keep me awake. Because I know that God loves me and compared to God, you're nobody. And so, you know what, I just put it all into perspective. God, I'm sorry, I don't know what I did to upset this person, but thank you that you love me. Man, that's awesome. I tell you, once you understand how much God loves you, really, there's not much else that matters. To think that God Almighty, you know there's a scripture that says I am weak and I forget the exact wording of it. But anyway, the gist of it is I'm small, insignificant, I'm nothing, yet the Lord thinks on me. Boy, I like that. And the, the more you failed and the more you're aware of your unworthiness instead of it stopping the love of God, it amplifies the love of God. To think that His love is still just as strong towards you as it is towards people who deserve it more than what you do. All it does is make you love God more. The more you see your unworthiness, the more you fail, the more it makes you appreciate God's love for you. And then, it's like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5:16, the love of Christ constrains us. The love of Christ will cause you to live holy. It's amazing to me how that when you preach grace, I just recently got kicked off of a whole network of radio stations because they said, I encourage sin. Because of preaching just like this, saying that God loves you. And they're thinking that if you don't tell people that if you do this, God's going to judge you. And if you don't put fear in people that God's going to punish them, then you're encouraging them to sin. Well, that that same logic would be that, you know, if I bring my wife flowers and give her presents and tell her how much I love her, that's going to cause her to go commit adultery. That doesn't make sense. The nicer you treat a person and the more you love them and the more you show your love for them, it, it does just the opposite. It makes that person respond in love. People say you're going to give them a license to sin if you preach this. I say they're sinning pretty good without a license. Amen. <laughs> it's just the opposite. You go to understanding how much God loves you, and you know what? It'll make you so appreciative that Father, thank you. You've been so good to me, and you will want to. You'd give up bubble gum if you think that that would bless God. Amen. He's been so good to you that you just want to bless him with anything. You know, when it comes to giving, this is what it says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I believe verse 15, the last verse in that chapter, after it spends two chapters talking about giving, money, finances, it ends it all up by saying, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. That's the reason that we give is because God, first of all, gave to us. God has done so much for us. Man, I could never give enough back to Him. God's been so good to me, I can't give enough to bless Him back. See, if you would start disassociating God's love to your worth, I believe that that would release the love of God into your heart. And I've got a lot more to share, but I'll have to share it again tomorrow. But you know, these these few things that I've talked about, talking about that if the love of God was really abounding in your life, you would have the fullness of God working in you. You would be without problems. Man, the love of God would just put you over. Well, most of us can see from that that we don't have the right revelation because that's not where most of us are living. And then we blame God for all these terrible things. You've got to get out of that and recognize God is the one who gives good and perfect gifts. God is a good God. He's not the one who is causing tragedy and problems. And then you've got to disassociate God's love from any worth or value on your part. Because the moment you tie your worth and value to God's love, that's like making you a link in this chain. And you're the weak link. And you will fail. And the moment you fail, the whole chain will break. God's love will break down because you don't deserve it. And Satan is a master of criticizing you and showing you your sin. The scripture says, Agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. And you know, there's many applications of that, but one application that I've used often is that when the devil comes and says, you aren't living good enough, you didn't do this, you failed, you made a mistake. Instead of getting in and trying to argue with him, I'm trying harder and I'm doing better than I've ever done. The moment you start trying to justify yourself, you just lost. Because I can guarantee you, Satan will push the issue and and every one of us is less than what we're supposed to be. But I've just learned to agree with my adversary. When he begins to start condemning me, you sorry thing, what makes you think God would use you? I say, guilty. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I don't deserve it. Father, thank you for Jesus. And I believe that you're going to use me in spite of who I am, (laughs) not because of who I am. (laughs) You don't need to try and justify yourself. Let me give you one last story and I'll quit with this. There is an end to this message. I don't ever get through, I just quit. (laughs) And we'll start up again tomorrow. But you know, this is not something you just grab hold of and you get it and you never lose it. The world is constantly condemning you and telling you that you aren't worthy and telling you that you don't deserve this. And there is no role model for the grace of God. And so you've got to constantly... Keep yourself in the love of God is what it says over in uh, the book of Jude, verse 21. And so you can't just get this and never have another problem with it. And so even though the Lord, I had this experience and the Lord showed this to me. And I was pastoring a church. This was my third church that I was pastoring. You know what, I got busy and I got to realizing that I hadn't spent much time in the Word because, I mean, I was praying with people from the time I woke up until the time I went to bed. People were coming by my house and I was praying constantly, but it was always for people. I hadn't opened my Bible in days except to pray for people and minister to them. I didn't have any time to study the Word. I hadn't fasted in a long time. So anyway, one day I got up and I said, Father, I'm going to study the Word all day long. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast. And I made this commitment to the Lord. Well, before I could wake up, I was woken up by somebody knocking on our door and they wanted prayer. And so I started praying, but it was four people. And then people came by and I was studying and showing them scriptures and stuff. And I didn't get to pray except for people. I didn't get to study the word except when I was giving it to other people And a guy that I'd been witnessing to for a long time came by and asked if I'd go to lunch with him. And I thought, today could be the day that this guy gets born again. And so, you know what? I went out and ate with him. And I was hungry because I didn't have any breakfast. So I ate more than I normally would have. So I didn't do a single one of the things that I promised God I'd do. I didn't fast. I didn't pray. I didn't study the Word. And that night, I was driving over to a Bible study, and I was by myself, 45 miles to this Bible study, and I was going to teach this Bible study. And on the way over there, I was feeling so unworthy and so condemned. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I promised you I'd do these things, and I didn't do it. And, you know, the devil will bring Scripture to your mind. He used Scriptures against Jesus, you know, out of Psalms chapter 91, when he gave him those temptations on the Mount of uh, Temptation. And anyway, I had scripture come to my mind that all liars will have their part in the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. And Ecclesiastes 5, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not pay. And man, I was just feeling like, oh God, how could you ever use me? How could you ever use me to bless anybody? I can't, I failed in everything I promised. And I was driving over there, I was praying, I was crying, oh God. And finally, I got to say, but God, if you won't do it because of me, just do it because of the people. Don't disappoint the people. People need to receive, oh God, just do it because you love the people. And I still didn't feel any release or any encouragement. And so I was still driving and finally I was praying and I said, oh God, just do it because of Jesus. And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, who did you think I was going to do it because of? (laughs) And you know the truth is, I had fallen back into thinking that God was going to use me because I was usable, because I had fasted and I had prayed and I had studied the Word. You know what? It's your goodness, the fact that you trust in your goodness, that is keeping you from understanding the, the love of God. you got to come to the end of yourself. There are some of you that God has healed miraculously, saved gloriously out of a terrible lifestyle miracles have been done in your life and yet if I was to ask you to come up here and minister your first thought would be oh i'm not prepared i haven't prayed i haven't i haven't studied i haven't done this and you would immediately fall back on something that you've done that would make yourself worthy instead of just getting up and praising god and talking about how good he is and I'm telling you that that's the very thing that is stopping you from understanding the love of God. You've got to understand that God's love is absolutely unconditional. It is not based on any goodness, worth, or value in your life. It's because God is love. And if you can understand that, I guarantee you that is a major, major step towards understanding the love of God and having it work in your life. Isn't that good? Let me just say this tonight, that I've been preaching to Christians, but if you don't know Jesus, then you've heard the gospel that God commended His love towards you and that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. The truth is that you've already had your sins forgiven. If you haven't made Jesus your personal Lord, did you know that your sins are forgiven? That's what it says over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, that He's the propitiation for our sins And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word propitiation means atoning sacrifice. Jesus has already paid for your sins. If you don't make Jesus your Lord, you will die and go to hell, not because of individual sins, because they've been paid for. You would go to hell for the singular one sin of not accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. That's what it all boils down to. And so if you're one of these that somehow or another thought that God's love and acceptance was tied to your goodness and you just know that you don't deserve it, and if that's been keeping you from accepting salvation, then tonight you heard the gospel. The nearly too good to be true news that God loves you completely independent of what you deserve. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how vile you've been. You know what, God has already forgiven all of those sins and now it just comes down to will you accept that forgiveness by humbling yourself and quit trying to save yourself through your own goodness and accept it as a gift and receive salvation as a gift or are you going to try and just earn it through being good and promising that you'll never do this again. You need to come to the end of yourself, admit that you're ungodly and let Christ justify the ungodly. Amen, that's good news. And if you've already been born again, but if you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, then I promise you there's no way that you can understand what we've talked about tonight. This does not make sense to the natural mind. The whole world system, everything in life is all conditional upon your performance. But when it comes to God, it is totally different. And you have to have the Holy Spirit give this to you as a revelation. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit so that you can understand. We read that in Romans chapter 5. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. You cannot fully receive and embrace and appreciate what I've talked about if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And some people don't understand that. The terminology uh, throws some people off and they think, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit when I was born again. I had not got time to teach on this, but there is a second experience. That's my experience. That's what the Bible teaches, where you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' disciples believed on Him and were born again, but He said, don't go anywhere, don't tell anybody, don't do anything until you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And when they received it, they spoke with tongues. And today, when people receive the Holy Spirit, they speak with tongues. And somebody says, well, I don't believe you have to speak in tongues. Well, I don't either. I believe you get to speak in tongues. It's a gift. Why wouldn't you do it? What would be wrong with you that you would want to not speak in tongues? When you receive the baptism, it's like a pair of tennis shoes. They all come with tongues. Amen. And I can guarantee you... If you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, God's going to give you this gift of speaking in tongues. Now, whether you use it or not is up to you, but it is a gift and it's a powerful gift. And I'd like to encourage you to get it. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight who would say, I need one or both of those. I need to receive salvation as a gift.